Welcome to Buzz British Book Club. I'm Kit. I'm Bridge. Today we're going to get Buzz and talk about books. Today's Buzz Juice is Martin's Rake. It's a Sauvignon Blanc, a Marlborough, and it says it's a wine of New Zealand 2021 vintage. So the 12 year old girl in me wants to really laugh at the name Martin's Rake. <laughs> uh, and then the slightly older nerd in me thinks like, you know, uh, old fashioned t- meaning of the word rake is like a man who's kind of a a hoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the male version of a hoe. I like the word rakish. Yes. Rakish. Good look. Yes. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> anyway, totally <laughs> unrelated to what we're reading. Completely. Uh, we're reading, oh, we've read The Midnight Library um, by Matt Haig, and we're both really excited about it. I picked it up a while ago and immediately sort of fell in love with this book. I mean, it deals with some really hefty themes but Mm -hmm. we're excited to get into it today definitely yeah so do you want to start with a summary i do yeah um nora seed is a person like many of us who fails to see the value in her ordinary life she commits suicide and rather than simply dying she ends up in a library of sorts in this library she has the option to live out all these variations on her life and has the chance to choose a better quote-unquote life in the end she learns there really is no such thing yeah so it it's uh jumping right in there with dealing with um, mental health and depression and suicide which i know is you know a hefty very serious topic Mm -hmm. um but i have to say like i love the way it was handled I do too, and I especially like how it was introduced. You know, it starts out where she's all like, all this shit happens to her all at once. You know, like her parents are both dead. Her brother doesn't talk to her anymore because of some decisions that she made in the past. And then her cat dies. So it's like the last thing. She loses her job too. And she loses her job all in the same day. Well, yeah. She loses both of her jobs because she's like a part-time piano instructor uh, yeah, too. She missed an appointment. And she missed an appointment. And and the her neighbour, who's Mr. Banerjee, this elderly neighbour mm-hmm. that she helps out um, by going to get his medications, like, don't need you anymore. Uh, I, I don't need you to go get my, my stuff. And so one by one, all her quote-unquote mm-hmm. reasons for staying tethered to this life sort of evaporate yeah and i i feel like there's moments in my life where i've felt similar Mm -hmm. you know like just what the fuck am i doing here like who needs me why do i exist like i'm just aimlessly wandering around and i've definitely had moments like that and reading this i don't want to say it brought that back but it made it more relatable to me mm-hmm. um definitely it was very personal and i i really felt for her yeah i think you you immediately recognize elements of yourself in nora mm-hmm. so perhaps we talk about her characterization first sure um, because it it starts after that like i guess it jumps back in time and it talks about how she's at school 
and she's really bonded with this librarian, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Elm, and they play chess together. Um, I think, you know, she she prefers that than going out and socializing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, you know, older people often do with children, they look at the children and they think, you've got your whole life ahead of you, endless possibilities. You could do, you could be the president, you could be an astronaut, you mm-hmm. could be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, all those right. like, cliche things. In this case, Mrs. Elm is like, you could be a glaciologist. And I was like, <laughs> what the bloody hell is a glaciologist? <laughs> a scientist who studies, studies glaciers, um, incidentally. So I thought that was kind of interesting because from the perspective of the child, obviously you don't have that um, broad-mindedness as a young person. And so you don't, you don't, oftentimes you don't look at the world as your oyster, so to speak. Um, You're just like maybe overwhelmed by the here and now. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, adults who have the benefit of, you know, a lifetime of experience are like, you have your whole life ahead of you. Yeah. There's so many special things you're going to get to do. And the child's like, what are you talking about? I'm just trying to make it through the day. Maybe I get bullied at school or I don't know, I'm I'm stressed out by my homework or schoolwork. Or in Nora's case, the swimming. Mm -hmm. Her father was really pressuring her to be this Olympic outstanding athlete. Sort of like one of those situations where, because I think he had an injury or something that prevented him. He was a rugby player. Yeah. Yeah. And it prevented him from progressing in his rugby career. So he really kind of lived through her. Lived through her and she was feeling that pretty strongly. Um, even at whatever age that was, like yeah, 14 like or something, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it wasn't very old. Mm-hmm. It was really heartbreaking. But I know that probably happens often. A lot. Yeah. Well, sure. I think it's only natural. I mean, maybe. I, I hope I don't do that. I was but... going to ask <laughs> For your perspective as a, a mother, do you ever find yourself? So, no lie, I've caught myself a couple of times this week, actually, because <laughs> <laughs> thinking about this, because, um, well, maybe not quite something exactly like that, but my son is five and he already knows most of his multiplication tables. And wow. he's five. And he's like, adding and subtracting these huge numbers mm-hmm. and reciting the whole four times table or the whole six times table or whatever and i'm like you're five like what the hell do i need to do to I keep this i think i was up? in third grade when yes! i was learning those yes yeah. it, i struggled with this with the eight times table till i was like 13. like i still struggle <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> i do too <laughs> I do too. So I'm like, oh my god! Like my son, is he a genius or like, like how do I, you know, keep him on this path or whatever? And like I realized, I was like, no, I really need to dial this back because mm-hmm. as soon as I start pushing, pushing or encouraging, because he's doing all this on his own. Yeah, all of this is just fun things for him to do. So it's like as soon as I step in and I'm like, you should be making this more of a priority, it's gonna take the fun out of it. Yeah. He's that smart with math. I'm sure he's that smart with a bunch of things. Oh, you know? Cool. So yeah. just let him pick which one he wants. Easier said than done, though. That's the thing, is like as even not as a mother, but just as like someone who's who's, you know, can be older than other people and has been through things and wants to from a good place, like help other people understand the benefit of, of my experience. 
you know you, you try but ultimately like you said they have to figure it out mm. themselves and so like me waffling on about you know the importance of blah 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 like they're just going to be like whatever and right forget about out it and then have to you know essentially learn that on their own right anyway it was kind of an interesting start to that because while as a child she's had these you know setbacks like next thing you know in that scene that they get a phone call and mm-hmm. her father died yeah um it and then it jumps back to her as a 35 year old who you know by some people's standards has a disappointing life and that she still lives in her hometown she's working at a record store you know she's not wildly prof- professionally successful she's not married doesn't have children and mm-hmm. so all those like common markers that people look at as a sign of a quote-unquote successful life are not there mm-hmm. and it's a theme throughout of like the the definition of success and how chasing that can be very corrosive to your mental health mm-hmm. and you know it's not a realistic thing to necessarily center all your efforts on right um because you're just going to end up feeling empty nothing's going to be enough right well it's it's interesting how i mean that's the hindsight of the book mm-hmm. right but where she starts She's looking at all these missed opportunities that she's had in her life to do great things and mm-hmm. be that successful person that the world thinks she has to be. So she had the chance to, um, you know, sign a record label with her brother with Universal and be like this big rock star. The Labyrinth. The Labyrinth. Yeah. So she kind of cool. So name. she had the opportunity to be famous. She had the opportunity to to go to the Olympics and be this Olympic swimmer and win fame like that. And, you know, she had this opportunity to marry, quote unquote, the man of her dreams Mm -hmm. and open a pub in the UK and do all these, you know, wonderful family things. Honestly, same. Right? Yeah. (laughs) That's a dream. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Except in my case, it's a coffee house. But, you know, like, yeah. So, like, she's looking at all these things that she passed up. And a lot of the reason why she passed them up was because of her mental health, Mm -hmm. you know, panic attacks or anxiety or just external pressure, pressuring Mm -hmm. her to do all these things. And so like all of that compounds together to set us up for her uh, mental state that's largely influenced by all these regrets that she has of these missed opportunities. And, and, I think like part of that is other people's projections right. too. So yeah. like it talks about how other people's expectations or dreams for you can really um, psychologically you. manipulate you. Yeah, to the point where you're like, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know what I actually want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I believe you know, throughout, she's going down these different paths because um, she's she's chasing after someone else's right. dreams. Yeah. And, you know, over the course of the novel, she sort of learns, like, there's, like, I need to deal with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's value in what I do, even yeah. if perhaps it seems small. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and I thought, you know, I'm some, I'm like on, on the anagram scale, whatever that thing is. You don't have taken an anagram test. I don't think so. It's like, there's like numbered one through nine and you're a number and that number tells you what your sort of personality is. And then you have like a secondary trait. So mine is like achiever with an artistic secondary trait. We'll have to have you take the test. Interesting. And so as like a quote unquote achiever, someone that's very driven by what is perceived as achievement, it's it was a tough pill to swallow, forgive the phrase, because, you know, everything, well, not everything I do, but so many things that I do are based on achieving a certain goal mm -hmm. so that, you know, I feel like I'm moving upward yeah. in life. I feel that too. Yeah. Which is, is tough. And I guess we can talk about it as women, like related to Nora. There's like expectations for family or like personal mm -hmm. relationships and children. And then there's also expectations of your professional life. Right. And each of those things alone are hard. Right. But achieving both of them, yeah. I would imagine, you know, I'm not, I don't have children, but I would imagine it's incredibly hard. It's exhausting. <laughs> have some more wine. <laughs> oh, I'm going to, trust me. It's it's absolutely exhausting because you see these little things that you've created. You're like, those, those are mine and they're here because of me and they depend on me and they're, you know, their lives are in my hands, right? But then it's like this pull. For like my own life too mm -hmm. you know it's like well but i still want to be this and i still want to achieve this and i feel like i'm failing or letting down my family if i don't do this mm -hmm. or whatever and it's just this constant pull of you know like energy like i feel biologically inclined to just give up everything mm -hmm. and just be a mom like fuck all that other stuff not important anymore like my kids are the important part but sure. then like logically and more intrinsically maybe intellectually it's like I want to continue to grow mm -hmm. and like you know do things for myself and it's it's a it's a constant battle and it's so exhausting it's like sometimes even I have these moments like in my cousin Vinny do, do you ever watch that movie no, I don't think so oh it's so good Marissa Tomei is, um, uh, oh God, what's that guy's name? Joe Pesci's, um, girlfriend, which is really odd because I feel like he's a million years older than her <laughs> and she is way hotter than he ever could be, but short, whatever. This is the 90s, I think. Um, and she really wants to get married and have children. And so she's like sort of playing that stereotypical role, but she goes, my biological clock is ticking like this in one of the scenes and sometimes I have moments like that where I look at a kid and I'm like should I have had one of those and I have this moment where I'm like I could have a mini me running around which might be kind of cute but ultimately I'm like oh no but but even like you're saying the biological impulse yeah is there like everyone else is is um living the american dream with the family with the and... two and a half kids in the picket fence and a right. dog or whatever exactly um and then you know there, there are all those those impulses of like i should um oh god 
go forth and what's the term from prosper yeah but also like prop not propagate that's the wrong word basically populate the earth right yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we're thinking like biblical things um so anyway i think propagate is the right word is it god procreate procreate thank you <laughs> one of those pro words <laughs> anyway i haven't had enough wine for this let me let me catch up um yeah, you do need to catch up because I'm about to pour my second glass. Oh, Lord. Okay, here we go. Guzzle it down. <laughs> so anyway, so she she meets Mrs. Elm in this library. So she decides to kill herself. And then she wakes up in this library. Um, and she meets Mrs. Elm, who's the same lady that was there during that traumatic moment where her father died. Mm-hmm. And so Mrs. Elm is explaining the things about the library and how she can basically so she gives her the book of regrets and it just lists all the things that she's regrets and that's constantly like weighing her down it was such a powerful moment for me because you know i've not been in that exact scenario but you have been in those moments i feel like most people have that maybe have have dealt with depression on some level where you just sit and you just beat yourself to death with all of the decisions that maybe you think you regret or you think were wrong or you think hurt someone and you just don't give yourself any grace you're just just ruthless of just like you know the whatever i can't think of words today it's been a long week but you know beating your flagellation yes exactly which i hate that word now <laughs> that did, you say that i do too i hate that word too it sounded like you said flatulation i know but it's not <laughs> but it does sound like that and if you You're think about farting away if you think about oh never mind i was thinking about something <laughs> i don't really know what you were thinking think about something entirely different <laughs> God almighty. Never mind. We're not gonna go there. <laughs> the beating moment motion, is that what no, you No, were... I was thinking about the tails of the wind. <laughs> <laughs> and how they look like little sperm tails. Oh god. I was thinking of something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good vintage. <laughs> we didn't drink this more often. <laughs> Oh my god i've lost it it's official <laughs> anyway so i think what what really strikes me about the book of regrets and you were kind of tapping into it a little bit is that she thinks that these the regrets that you have are so much stronger when you feel like they are directly responsible for how shitty your life is now right and that's what she's there for is to find out well what would happen if she didn't have these regrets what Mm -hmm. would her life be like if these regrets didn't influence how shitty her life is now and so yeah we talked about this with afterlife yes um and i think we've talked about it i forget what it might have been the nightingale or something where you think about your life um if you're relatively happy with where you are then those regrets don't feel as keen yeah Yeah. whereas if you're really struggling Mm -hmm. and having a hard time um then that feels so much um heavier and impactful because like you're saying it feels like 
those choices or, or those uh, incidences directly led to the shitty place you are now right. and if i right. just change one thing then things would be better yeah on the note of that regret so there's a part where she goes back and she becomes the famous band player or whatever mm -hmm. and she's got she's on this podcast and she doesn't know what the hell the podcast is even for she doesn't know any of the songs that they play um because she just kind of appeared here right and she doesn't really know so she's just kind of improvising but anyway so um she says uh, there are patterns to life rhythms it's so easy while trapped in just the one life to imagine that times of sadness or tragedy or failure or fear are a result of that particular existence that it is a byproduct of living a certain way rather than simply living i mean it would have made things a lot easier if we understood there was no way of living that can immunize you against sadness and that sadness is intrinsically part of the fabric of happiness. You can't have one without the other. Of course, they come in different degrees and quantities, but there is no life where you can be in a state of sheer happiness forever. And you're, and imagining there is just breeds more unhappiness in the life you're in. I was like, damn, that's like so like profound. Seeing the grass is greener on the other side, but in reality, it's not. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there is no just black without white there is no you know i don't know sunshine without clouds you know right yeah like if you can't have one you can't have the other because there's no basis for comparison i do right. think if i were a hobbit though living in hobbiton <laughs> that would be pure happiness i mean all they do is I garden get really bored ha they have they have lively parties and dance on tables and drink a lot of ale and they eat their little hearts out. True. And that I think they have a lot of sex too, because there's a lot of little little hobbits. That's running true. Around. They're like little bunnies. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's pure happiness. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. But God, she I learns love this setup. I just love it though. Like, it's who so wouldn't mean. want to go into a library and be able to pick and choose? the the direction that your life goes in and just see what it would oh, be like oh that would be awesome yeah. i mean there's something so attractive about that um and being able to pick and choose the moral of the story we'll get to later on but i mean it just seems very sexy where she like you know it's like well what if this, what if i did this right let's go and then she's just dropped into that life yeah and like you said has to sort of figure it out because she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing you know right or who anyone is really except for maybe one person so she has to sort of fake right. it until she makes because she's dropped into that life with all of her previous lives memories mm -hmm. not the lives memories of where that, she is where she is currently so yeah. she's like completely lost she still gets a good idea of it though and it's funny like the the people that she meets and how she improvs i don't think i could improv like that i think i could i don't think i could i mean it would be <laughs> so it's kind of like i don't so i have a really hard time remembering names with faces yeah so like i can remember faces pretty pretty well yeah like i'll go somewhere and i'll be like that person looks familiar and then if they start talking to me my brain like scrambles like an egg it's like what the fuck is this person's name where did i meet them what are they talking about yeah. how no, do they know me you could have told me your name two seconds ago and i've already forgotten it like right honestly, if i'm at a party and we introduce ourselves unless i really make an effort 
you could have said your name was Jonathan and three days, you know, three minutes it's later. So, I'm like, what's your name again? Yeah, it's so awkward, especially when they remember me and yeah. all the stuff about me. And I'm just like, I don't know who you are. But I don't know who the fuck you are. But it's like, I was imagining myself in her situation every single time. Like, I would not be able to handle that. Like, I. She does it say would be so stressful. She feels like a spy with her yeah. camera about to be blown. But I think I. I could, I mean, I, I really like the way Matt Haig wrote this because, well, so many things, but because you feel like Nora's not particularly good at faking it either because she's called out a few times during this these scenarios where her loved ones are like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, are you you're okay? Not, you're not acting right. Yeah, what's gotten into you? Yeah, Um. so I, it felt very relatable, which is part of the reason why this book is such a resounding success. And just like you really feel like, at least personally, I really feel like I could be Nora. Yeah, yeah. So you were starting to say she kind of goes through all these different options. Yeah, so she starts with the book of regrets and chooses each of these different lives. And it's interesting how there's so many shared themes so like in almost all lives except one she finds antidepressants so her depression it's you know recognized that it's not necessarily due to a particular choice she made mm -hmm. it's just like like the choice that she's blaming for how she feels in her real life isn't really it like there's more to it than that. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, she realizes later that it was because she wasn't choosing the life that she wanted, mm -hmm. spoiler. And she was choosing all these lives that other people wanted for her, and it was leading her to these emotional mental breakdowns, essentially. You know, mm -hmm. she was still having the panic attacks, you know, the depressive episodes, you know, in some lives she was an alcoholic. And in other lives, you know, the, the decisions that she felt might have made a difference in her relationships with other people, those people were dead mm -hmm. in some of those lives. And so she was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, the what one the hell? that was really sort of sexy was when she chose uh, a life where she, like, was a part of the Labyrinth, the musical yeah, group. Yeah, yeah. And they become insanely popular and she it, throughout each one of these scenarios which is kind of fun she mentions this famous actor um ryan bailey yeah who i just imagine being like sort of ryan gosling type and so throughout these and as she's this famous musician now she dated him in this one scenario and had actually broken up with him and so she thinks like wow this is a really cool life like i'm traveling the world i have millions of adoring fans people are obsessed with the lyrics that i write and i'm wildly successful and i dated this sexy mix sexiton actor guy and i'm too so cool i dumped him right. so this is amazing but then in that live it turns out her brother died from an overdose yeah. and so it's like she goes through kind of systematically each one of these scenarios and deciding what she values but each one is missing something yeah like in that life you know she she was quite jarringly informed that her brother had died and you know how upsetting would that be and so like she that's part of the reason why she doesn't stay in that life is like right. i want my brother like i 
right like this is even worse yeah like at least he was alive in my root life the original life right um and i could reach out to him and maybe repair whatever broken relationship we have um so i thought that was interesting because you know if i'm thinking about these different scenarios you know as the achiever i'm like drawn to the idea of i i'm formerly an olympic swimmer Mm -hmm. i have the fastest record for a woman in what was it freestyle or something 400 meter yeah something like that and i now i speak to thousands of people and give motivational speak speeches and i'm incredibly fit that was another thing Mm -hmm. that i like it felt very normal if you're transitioning from life to life to like evaluate your physical fitness and like how good you look or how bad you that was a theme in afterlife too when Mm -hmm. he realized he was like oh i'm i i can breathe yeah (gasps) and he felt he felt his own ass right yeah 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 he was like oh it's a little bed (laughs) i like that um because again it like with afterlife it felt very normal thing to do like even when she's a swimmer she she does like a some push-ups and yeah stuff. and she's like wow this is easy yeah. this is amazing these out. yeah but for me you know that's the life that i'd be more attracted to or the one where she's the lead singer in the labyrinth and wildly successful but in each one there's a key component missing mm-hmm. i think her mother died her mother died early in in from in, depression i believe it so in the olympic swimmer one i think she she either overdosed or something in reaction to her father having an affair right with a- another one of the parents of an olympic swimmer or something like that so it was like all of these lives seemed perfect which is sort of a, a metaphor for social media i guess it's like they seem perfect on the outside but once you really get into it you're like there's a there's a key person that i love that's not here or there's an element of this that is deeply uncomfortable. Right. That is the reason why every time she goes into one of these lives, if she starts to feel regret or um, disappointment, she's pulled back out of it into back into the Midnight Library. Right. Yeah. And then she just basically cycles through her entire list of regrets and, you know, main choices that she feels. Even her cat. So she's like, Volts. okay, I just want to go back to the life where Bolts doesn't get hit by a car. And he still dies. He's still, he's dead under the bed. Yeah. Because apparently he didn't get hit by a car. He has some sort of cardiac arrest yeah. or something. And it was like inevitable that that he was going to die. And her and regret so... was, I was a shitty um, cat mom to right. Bolts. Because I let him out. Because I let him out. He got hit by a car. But then as as a point of contrast in this life where she never let him outside he still died and right. she's like, like you what know the fuck? shit like he actually had a pretty good life i did a pretty good job yeah. of taking care of and him. he didn't die as a direct result of something i did or did not do right it, it was gonna happen anyway right it, it's just a great sort of smaller example mm-hmm. of how regrets aren't necessarily based in fact at all right it's just this all the things that you're pining after might have actually ended up to be shit right it's all it all can be sort of an illusion um that can seduce you into this really negative way of thinking which is certainly what happens to nora um 
I I loved the moment where she's she's a glaciologist. It's like my new favorite word now, especially <laughs> to say in this accent. Right, yeah. Glaciologist. Um and she's like out there on some ship or something in the Arctic. Yeah, and they they like was it like Svalbard or something? Something like that. Some um archipelago. I don't know if that's how British people say it or not. I don't know either. In the far north and they're they're studying, you know, the melting rate of glaciers and right, climate um, change. Climate ch- change and all that. And um and like <laughs> she's dropped into this world, like doesn't know anything, right? And she learns that her job that day is going to be the spotter. What the fuck does that mean? Oh, it means you're in charge of looking around to see if there are any polar bears that come out of the woodwork, so to speak. To eat you. (laughs) To to eat eat you. And sure enough, (laughs) this is probably one of my favourite moments. Sure enough, while she's being the spotter, she looks around and she thinks she's all right. And she's equipped with a um, flare gun. Um, she's got like a pot or something she's and then she's got like a, a rifle you're right and she's looking around and you know this is going to happen otherwise it wouldn't be in this, the book but you know she sees a polar bear coming and she's like shit and so she shoots off the flare and it goes right in the water <laughs> it, I don't know she it, just like accidentally she aimed it at the polar bear maybe and it just went in I the water straight up in the air Nora come on get your shit <laughs> together um and I, I you know that doesn't do anything to deter it it's kind of coming at her and I guess she just starts beating well, on the rifle's too far away she's like oh, if I, she if set I... it down like an idiot right she's like if I reach for the rifle it's gonna come charging at me and get me yeah and so she just starts... beats on this part and she's like polar bear 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 <laughs> And she has that moment where she legitimately thinks she's going to die. Yeah. And in that moment, she's like, I don't want to die. You know what? I had a thought, though. Okay, Mm. wanting to die and death by polar bear. (laughs) (laughs) Two two different things. Separate things, okay? (laughs) Like, I feel like if you want to end your life, you are not going to pick polar bear. I liked how the author was trying to show how it hit her suddenly that she didn't want to die. But it was a little unbelievable in my head. Like, I mean, is it that or does she just not want to get eaten by a polar bear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I think that's a fair because point. that would be horrific. I think that's a fair point. <laughs> of like, just because you don't, you're depressed enough where you want to end your life doesn't mean you want to die by a, in a grisly manner. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the fact that she sort of fought for it. Right, yeah, she definitely did. I mean, but again... She, she could have <laughs> relatively easily jumped into the the water. Although polar bears can swim, so it might have just gone after her. Sure, that's true. <laughs> I, I think symbolically, you know, obviously it's not perfect. But right, yeah. symbolically it, it made this point of, like, she was fighting for her life which sort of Mrs. Elm was trying to get her to do from the very beginning. Right. Um, so. And then the polar bear just like walks off. <laughs> he yeah, actually, like, you know, he goes into the water and swims away. Yeah, he's like, this is, this, this bitch crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not worth it. One interesting point related to the glaciologist 
scenario she meets this man i think he's french his name's hugo right Mm -hmm. um and he's another person in the same scenario of like what they call them what slip sliders sliders thank you yeah slipping sliders um (laughs) (laughs) where he's he I, i forget what kind of he is had it a video he, store or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was a video store. Yeah, which is kind of a cool concept. We yeah. should talk about that. But it, it made me laugh so hard because they sort of had this moment of connection, right? Her and, her and Hugo, which, as you would imagine, you you know that makes a lot of sense. Like, I'm experiencing this this wild, you know, adventure for lack of a better term. And then and, here's somebody who's uh, also experiencing yeah. the same thing, coming in and out of life. Right, and you know his name's Hugo. He's French. He's on a, yeah. you know, he's on a boat in in the fucking you know Arctic. It's kind <laughs> of sexy. So they 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 you know end up having sex, and I thought it was so funny because it was just disappointing sex. It was so disappointing. <laughs> it was so disappointing that during sex she just. Zap back to the midnight library <laughs> in the middle, in the throes, so to speak. <laughs> All that was in my mind because Hugo was like, Yeah, because he was explaining how he had, he had found other sliders, and in the middle of a conversation, he, they would just go, they would slide back into the now library I feel bad or whatever. Hugo. I know, right? <laughs> And he was talking about how they would just kind of like be like, wait, what were we talking about? Who are you? And like, when, when it happens to Laura, I was just thinking about the awkward moment when the real Nora comes back and it's she's like, like, you're inside of me. <laughs> how the fuck are you? did this happen? <laughs> how awkward Did you get me a date rate drug? What ha- That's not funny, but wow. That's wild to think about. I was thinking about it. I was like, that's a plan. Oh, no. Like, wait a minute. Oh, Hugo. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, so, I, you know, we've sort of jumped around, but I think what I'm curious to know is, like, if if you were in this sort of metaphysical space, would your place be a library Ooh. where would my place be? well it would have to be some place with you know access to like stuff right yeah i mean I think like a video store like, or a music store yeah i was or... thinking like a record shop a bookshop a yeah. library maybe um, even like a walmart or something i don't it know it could be a walmart maybe it's one of those places where servers are kept you know and it's just a bunch of servers with information on it i don't know yeah oh like a data center or something. yeah something like god that. i hope it wouldn't be that shit that's not my style <laughs> but i'm that sure boring yeah or maybe it's a cloud or something you know where everything is stored but yeah that's it's it's harder to wrap your brain around yeah. that but you know it could be like a pyramid where there are like those stone tablets stored or something that oh, feels that, your vibe oh like greek yes yeah, like the library of alexandria yeah, or yeah, something. yeah yeah yes that's where i'd be all right 100 percent. i would be in the library of alexandria yes before it got burned out right yeah yeah that definitely okay and who would your spiritual guide be 
Um, it would probably be my community college history professor, um, Dr. Faulkner. Mm-hmm. She, I think I've talked about her before on the podcast, but in a moment of my life where I was struggling to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do and kind of my independence from my parents and things like that, she was there and listened and validated my feelings in a way that nobody else had at that particular point. So I feel like she would definitely be my guide. Do you still talk to her? Uh, We're friends on Facebook, but I actually haven't done anything on Facebook in like three years. So every once in a while, she'll have like a birthday or something. Yeah. Say happy birthday or whatever. I should probably reach out to her. You should. Yeah. Tell her to listen to the podcast. Yeah. That would be funny. Yeah. But anyway, what about you? Where would your place be and who would your person be? I think it would be like a bookshop. You know, like a cosy, vibey one with like comfy chairs and coffee and yeah, coffee Um, and lots of gluten free pastries available, (laughs) you know. Um, And I was thinking about this on the drive over. And, you know, we talked about this before we started recording, but the person that you choose has to be somewhat removed from your your emotional attachments. Um, So like a parent or whatever couldn't work because they'd be too swayed by you know, their, their relationship their, with you. Mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. And so they couldn't be as objective. And I think that's part of the reason why it's important to choose someone that's a little bit removed. Yeah. Uh, who has maybe a better perspective. Um, and I was thinking about this and I don't know why, cause I haven't thought about this guy in a while, but um, I had a coach in high school whose name I'm not making this up was oral pain. Are you kidding? Should have been a, a dentist. What the hell? But I don't know what he did in his real life. But he was my high school soccer coach, together with this this other chap named Perone Ford. We had two two male coaches, and he was so funny and like level headed. Also amazing at soccer football. Um, he was just amazing and a little bit older and really fit and could do amazing things with a, a football. Um, and just like, no, <laughs> not like that. Not like sexy, but, um, but what he could do with a football was sexy. And, and he was just like so chill. You know, I felt like he had a good perspective on life. And I think, um, you know, he'd be a good guide. Yeah where he'd just be like sort of gent gently um giving me a broader perspective of like opening opening my thoughts to something more than I was zeroed in on um so I think he'd be he kind of be a, a good spirit guide yeah. in this journey um so anyway yeah that's my thought and like I just love the concept like I just love how Matt Haig came up with this concept of like okay well you think you're if you did anything different your whole life would be different let's set this narrative up so this character has the opportunity to explore each one and through this exercise gain that broader perspective that is going to help her learn some like life-altering lessons Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and ultimately, you know, each one of these, you know, different lives she leads, she realizes that they all sort of end up the same. You know, she she ends up depressed. She ends up unhappy. Somebody that she loves is dead. In one life, her best friend Izzy got killed in a car accident. Um, Did you get the feeling that she was a sex worker in that scenario? Nora? Yeah. Uh, I got the feeling there was something weird. Oh, she did. She was a drug dealer. I I think drug addict would be more the impression I got. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was definitely not a great life for sure. No, it's again all of these start off so alluring, and Mm -hmm. then in that one she starts off swimming in a saltwater pool in Australia, and she's like. Tan, and yeah, fit. she's like, Ooh, this is the life for me, and you're like, Yeah, but then she's like, Where the fuck is Izzy? Yeah, you know, well, like, she's the reason I moved to Australia, and so her best friend had died in yeah. a car accident when she was driving to her birthday party, right? And yeah, probably was the reason why she turned to, to substance abuse, anyways. I mean, I right. can't imagine the, the guilt that would come with that, right? And so, that's another theme it's like in each one of these lives, there's guilt still mm-hmm. over the choices that she made so in her real life there's guilt for not choosing that life and then in those lives that she actually did choose that thing there's guilt over how it ended up so there's really no right answer like every choice you have every opportunity every life you could lead it's all filled with good and bad that's just the way it is um but she finally finds a life that she really likes and there was this the man who found her cat ash, ash apparently like a surgeon yeah sexy name yeah. ash the surgeon ash the surgeon he's the one that had found her cat and i guess 10 years or so prior he had asked her out for coffee but that was the but she was with dave she was with dan 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 who in the life that she chooses down in the pub house, he's actually a cheater. He's an asshole. He is such a dick. And like she thinks about that and like all the the things that he was a dick to her about. And he yes, really was just she, a dick the she, entire time. In in one of these scenarios, she wrapped up her entire life to follow his dream, which was opening mm-hmm. a pub, which honestly that does sound sexy, so I'm not judging Nora right. for that. Like living in middle UK, owning a pub, having quiz nights every week but he opened a pub because he's a fucking drunk he's a drunk and he cheated on her and he's kind of an asshole Um, gaslighting her mm -hmm. and like she turned ash down because she was with dan because she was with dan and because she at that time was choosing whether or not she wanted to marry dan or, and Dan talked her out of joining or, or joining the labyrinth, labyrinth or yeah. going to Australia with Izzy. So mm-hmm. at so there seems to be this pivotal moment in her life where she had all these different choices that she could have done, and she chose, chose none that. of them. Yeah, she really, she really. Well, honestly, in her root life, in she, her root life, she chose none. She of chose them. none of them, and she split up with Dan. Izzy yep. went off to Australia by herself. Yep. She didn't. Um, Stay with the labyrinth. Right, because she and, had a panic attack. Yeah, and so anyway, I think, um, you know, that was one of the, the key moments. She didn't where, go out to coffee with Ash. Right, <laughs> and so later on she finds herself in a life where she did go. Right. 
And she has a lovely little girl. And oh, a lovely Molly. guy. It's so cute. She's adorable. And Ash is wonderful. Yeah. Like, he's like the best husband. And they have this adorable little life. And her brother is still, is still alive. And he's happily he's married to you. Yeah. Um, so it's this nice setup. But what gets her in that life, which feels like. You know, as you're reading, you're like, this is it. Like, this is a perfect right. life. You're going to stay here and it's lovely. But she doesn't feel like she earned it because she wasn't there. Well, that, but she kind of starts to pass on that a little bit. But what really seals it is the little boy that she teaches piano lessons to in her root life. She, he is a delinquent and she sees him being arrested and the police are like, this kid is in trouble all the time. And she's like, no, he's not. He's a good kid. He's a good kid, yeah. I leave him alone, whatever. And, it, you know, come to find out that the piano lessons that she was teaching him had... Put him on a different path. Put him on a different path and diverted him away from delinquency, basically. Um, Doesn't and she so go to see Mrs. Elm, too? She does and she's dead. Yeah. So, she like had she had just away. recently passed, yeah, and she had been in this like nursing, um, home. nursing home, yeah, and so there are that... several imperfect things about her life. There. Yeah, so like that part of the narrative starts to point to, oh, like there are these things in my root life that I was doing that, that made were a making difference. a difference. And Mr. Banerjee as well. Was in the nursing home. He was in the nursing home and he was unhappy, very unhappy in the nursing home. Yeah, instead of living in his own flat as a neighbour to to Nora and her original life. So it's it's such a well-done narrative device. It's like you start to get on this back end of some of these, like, scenarios of different lives and you're like, Here's the value I was providing in right, my original life. Right, that I didn't life. even notice that mm-hmm. I was doing, but I actually was mm-hmm. making a difference in lives. Yeah, and I wonder, like, if people out in the world have been in these scenarios where you do something just casually in your life, maybe in your professional life, you know, whatever it is, like you bring in donuts or whatever. This is a bad example, but just roll with it. You bring in donuts every day. Nobody says anything you to you about it, so, so you don't think it's making a difference. And then you stop bringing in donuts, mm-hmm. and then people are like, "Hey, why would you stop bringing in donuts?" Right. And I know that's a terrible example, <clears throat> but just I've been thinking about work stuff a lot lately, <laughs> um, and. It's important to understand the impact that you have on other people. Yeah. Even if it's just sending a text to that friend that maybe you hadn't thought about in a little while. And just to say, like, I've just got a text from my neighbor, actually. Um, <laughs> to check in and see how they're doing. Yeah. And, and that one little action that maybe you're just like, doesn't really make a difference. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, and I think not to get on a soapbox, but fuck it, I'm getting on a soapbox. Go for it, get on it. <laughs> since mm-hmm. since COVID, I think it's all kind of obvious that connection with other people is hugely impo- important because you know we sort of cut off a lot of connection. Yeah, um, a lot of isolation, and we felt a lot of isolation, and we we 
relearned perhaps collectively the value of that connection mm -hmm. because we felt the lack of it right and as humans i don't think we're good at acknowledging something that's good while it's happening we only miss it when it's gone right right yeah, that does seem to be innate to our nature yeah which is stupid but there we are here we are yeah <laughs> so like I think, such as life i think you know maybe this novel is a little bit of a nudge to appreciate you know those little things like your mom texting you like my mom does just to say i love you or yeah um you know the wave you get from a neighbor or just those little things where people check in and ask how you're doing yeah it makes such a big difference if you can you can kind of find a minute in your day to do something like that for somebody else maybe that's the difference between like them having a moment like Nora or going on about their day and carrying on and being fine you know yeah. like I think I think you know there's a lot of value in those little things I agree I agree but I remember I was like the class leader you know just 10 years ago um with my class at a school i think it was a school i think it was a school and this, this guy was kind of notorious for always being a dirtbag that's what we always called dirtbag <laughs> sailors where people did you call them dbs we call them dbas yeah. in the air force yeah yeah <laughs> where exactly where they they wouldn't show up at at on time for muster they they their uniform would look like shit they didn't know their stuff you know like early on in the military the basics are be there early 15 minutes be in a uniform and look good and if you do those two things you're gonna you're gonna be you know pretty number much, one you're not gonna stand out yeah so that's good <laughs> like you, you're gonna be you know pretty well set up right. if you do those at their minimum right 15 minutes early in the right uniform looking good Right. Uh, which in the military takes effort, putting the uniforms together. Um, Especially in the Navy, you guys have like 10 uniforms. Yeah, and like <laughs> we, at that stage, we had a lot of inspections where you have to be perfect in your uniform. I don't think a lot of civilians have an understanding of what a uniform inspection looks like, but you know, the, the fact that literally everything that you put on your body is prescribed to be worn in a very specific way. Yeah. I think about this frequently because I think like to the point where like how you lace your shoes mm -hmm. and how you tie them is to a specific the angle of your hat point, how many inches above your brow line your hat should be yeah. and how you measure that, um, how your belt should fit yep um the placement of ribbons and other paraphernalia on your blouse um and how you you um blouse or roll your pants to fit above above your boots yep yep literally down to every specific thing and so we had this guy and he always looked like shit he would show up late and so like i gave I gave him a bunch of, a bunch of shit because I had to because he was making the rest of the class look bad. And if you don't know anything about the military, you know if one person 
is late or one person is in the wrong uniform and looks like shit, the, the whole, whole unit is punished. Stopped. Yeah, the whole group is punished to the point where we're peating extra, yeah, or we have to show up early. You're only as strong as your weakest link in the military. So we were dying because of that. Like we had to march um at cadence for hours. <laughs> As extra military duties because this one guy was always late or looked like shit. So at, <laughs> at some point, I talked to him about it. And I'm like, hey, man, like, you're killing the rest of us. Like, come on. And he was this, you know, kind of large, burly man. And he stepped to me like he was going to punch me out. And I will say I held my ground. But I was also in my head like, oh, fuck, I'm about to die. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, I didn't give an inch. And he finally just walked away. Later on, when he had calmed down, he shared with me, he's married, you know, we're all very young at this point, he's married, and his wife had, had just had a miscarriage. Oh, no. And so he, obviously, he doesn't he was, give a shit he about was having people. a hard time. Yeah. In the grander scheme of things, when it comes down to being on time to a muster, he didn't care. He just lost a child. Right. His wife was struggling, and he was in San Antonio, Texas, away from her. Right. Oh God, that's hard. So, like, giving me that context, I was able to better understand where he was coming from. Yeah. To the point where just small things, but like. I'd give him my undershirts, you know, that were ironed that he could put on so that, you know, it was like, I got you, just put this on real quick. You'll you'll be fine for the inspection. And it it just cleared a path between us for understanding because I was you know, like, well of course. Right. Of course you're gonna you're not gonna give a shit about this. Right. Given that. But before that I didn't know. Right. And so I was like, dude, you're holding up the rest of us down. So all that to say, and we, we, you know, still kind of keep in touch now, which is kind of funny, but uh, all that to say, like, you know, if you're going through something, just tell somebody. Yeah. I know it's tough to yeah. open up sometimes, but just tell somebody. And maybe that is just what you need to feel less of a burden and mm -hmm. other people can lean in and help. Yeah. I'm on a lot of soapboxes today, <laughs> but I feel like this I think book... that's a really good soapbox, though. I, I think it's so hard to ask for help sometimes because sometimes it just feels like you're making excuses. You know, this book even is when there's such something... a powerful tool. I yeah. really want to recommend it to everyone. Read this book because it gives you such a great perspective on yeah your life. It really is good. I really, really enjoyed it a lot, and um. I was telling Bridge before we started recording that I'd been in a bit of a slump this week for just thinking about jobs that I've had in the past and why did I leave that job because I've been trying to get some of them back this week. Um, you know, and it hasn't really gone anywhere. And so reading this book this week was eye-opening. Like, you know, like I shouldn't be regretting quitting that job or quitting that other job. Or doing this or that, or ten of these or two of those, or not mm -hmm. finishing this, or deciding to go do something else right here because, um, you know, I I was beating myself up about it pretty bad, uh, this week, and then I read this book and I was like, okay, it's really not that bad. So, anyway, if you're in a place where you are second guessing some choices that you've made, 
or you are beating yourself up because you think you did something dumb and you burned a bridge where you shouldn't have or something at the end of the day there's good and bad with every choice you make it's not going to be sunshine and daisies and roses all the time there's no happiness without some measure of sadness behind it yeah i think what's so refreshing about this book is it's not like um work harder and you'll eventually eventually get there or um trying to prescribe certain values onto anyone right it's just like not giving yourself a pass because i do think it's important to work hard and you know etc in your life but it's it's just like give yourself some grace yeah give yourself and other people some grace right and ultimately what it comes back to is like relationships Mm -hmm. valuing connection with each other because that's what's going to make the difference in your dark times you're not and i'm sort of giving a pep talk to myself you're not going to be you're not going to be consoled by your title at work Mm -mm. when you're having a tough day your friend who comes over and maybe has a glass of wine with you is is the one that's going to console you, make you feel better, right? Reinfuse that sense of self more than anything that you could achieve as an Olympic swimmer or as a fa- world famous musician or you know any of these scenarios that right. that Nora goes you know through. Even a glaciologist, you right. know, like yeah, it it's all about her family and it. Some of these challenging relationships are tough, but ultimately that's what provides value is you know your influence on other people mm-hmm. in even a small way like with leo i think was the student that right. was going down a dark path and with like the police and criminal um, behavior and so her influence on him was to open up his world to i can be an amazing pianist and i can go down a different path or even if i'm not an amazing pianist the experience of learning piano helps me understand there's more to life than maybe that dark path to, right. to criminal behavior. Right. Or I can get enjoyment out of something, you know, better than whatever he was doing, mm-hmm. getting into trouble, you know. I also liked the simpleness of Mr. Banerjee, her mm-hmm. neighbor, and wasn't in the nursing home in, in her root life probably because she was helping him and he you know thought he was helping her in some way too because when she finally realizes that she doesn't want to die and she wakes up and she's swallowed a bunch of pills and she's just kind of crawling to help um and she's just beating on mr banerjee's door and she's like i've done something really stupid call an ambulance Mm -hmm. I wonder what kind of impact that had on Mr. Banerjee to be able to save a life. Yeah. You know, like something like that probably just, I don't know, made his whole being, Mm -hmm. you know, like I was able to help someone too. Infused him with a sense of purpose. Because so often, you know, I talked to my stepdad the other day because we went to um, some event at the baseball park the other day. Um, And he was talking about 
certain things that I think we all realize make a difference in our lives. But as a retired person, mm -hmm. when you don't have a job, it's kind of sad, but you lose that sense of purpose. And what um, sort of supports longevity in retired people is that social interaction mm -hmm. and physical um, activity. And so I think Mr. Banerjee in this case seemed lonely, but did get some social interaction from Nora when they, you know, interacted with each other as neighbors. Right. Um, and then like you're saying in this instance, he was able to make a huge difference of her life or death in this moment by right. calling the ambulance. And it was interesting afterwards, she sees him in the window or something like that. And he, he pulls the curtain back and he mouths like, thank you to her. Mm -hmm. And of course, she says, "Yeah, no, thank you. Like you saved my life, or whatever." Yeah. And it was just this really endearing moment. Like he's thanking her for needing him, needing him. Yeah, and it was just a really, it was a really touching moment. Also, she even thinks about Ash um, helping her bury her cat, mm -hmm. and how significant that really was. That she was just too, um, I guess, depressed and grieving at the time to really recognize. Mm -hmm. Um, how good that was that Ash took the time to do that. Um, and I would like to think, although the book doesn't say it, but I would like to think that they had a relationship after that. Like, I kind of like that a coffee leaves it nebulous because I think he was there, he being the author, was very particular, not wanting to enforce the happily ever after right yeah 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 like it was the reason why i liked this was she starts off in her root life thinking it's shit she learns all these lessons i guess this is sort of similar to um what's that bill murray movie with the lessons of like christmas past and all that shit scrooge or something anyway it's christmas tale is that it? Uh, no, but and it doesn't matter. So anyway, she she goes through all these like sexier iterations of her life and realizes the value in her original life, which was humble, which was quote unquote ordinary, and goes back to that life mm -hmm. in the very end, which was such a lovely narrative device of bringing her back full circle of going from like her character arc going from there's no value in this i'm worthless i'm going to kill myself because i have no positive impact on anyone i'm not successful i'm not valuable i'm ending my life to back around to wow i really did have an impact and even though it was small i had an important impact that set these people on a certain trajectory and so i'm going back to that life so I think I would have liked it better if she had chosen to do that. Yeah. But she really didn't choose to do that. Because at the end, so she she kept, she knew it was coming and she was going to back to the Midnight Library. But she kept saying, like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. This is the perfect life. This is where I want to stay. Yeah. But there's something happening with the library because her physical body is actually dying yeah and so the library is on fire and the library is on fire and, and so it, it like automatically pulls her out of the life that she picked her mm. perfect life and she's angry about it she's like what do you mean you told me if i found the perfect life i could stay there and mm. i found the perfect life with ash as molly's mother 
I mean, there was a couple of things here and there that were like, whatever, mm -hmm. that could be better. But, as, you know, in general, I wanted to stay there. Mm -hmm. And so she didn't really choose to go back to her shitty life. Um, <laughs> I think, which I, I wish she had because that would have been so much of a stronger thing for me I think yeah. if she had chosen but she was like ripped out of that other life well if then I guess to your point you know perhaps longer term she could have a relationship with Ash and have Molly in the long term I mean I her. hope that's what happens but, but to, it doesn't again make. to be fair like she didn't make that choice to and she didn't live that life like herself so right. she hadn't really earned it right. so I like there was that, some some things that she was iffy on yeah even in that life but she didn't really want to leave it she was well, like I, I do like that she whether she was forced or chose I do like that ultimately she ended up back where she began seeing the value and who she was because it allowed her to reset and make choices from there and for herself right because that life was chosen not because her dad wanted to be a, an olympic swimmer or her boyfriend wanted to move to the uk and open a pub or her brother wanted her to be an elaborate or any of these other number of things she made the choice to go out for coffee with Ash because she genuinely wanted to for herself. Right. And so... Which, honestly, same. Ash sounds so he sexy. sounds really cool. <laughs> but, like, so so I think, you know, the message in her final life, whatever, experience was that she recognised the value in making choices for herself instead of other people kind of forcing her to make these decisions out of um you know resentment or guilt or you know pressure or whatever these social pressures that everyone feels all the time to mm -hmm. to be the best you can be and go do this and this is what you should do and this is the only way you're going to be successful and all this bullshit that's always around us um so that was really that was cool i liked that realization that she had at the end but i do think it would have been stronger if she had chosen mm. to leave that life and yeah. go back but i think you know we we skipped a couple of scenarios but i don't know necessarily know we need to jump into each one um i think overarchingly like the themes that we talked about and the lessons she learned and perhaps we're giving away some of our cork rubric because we always you already talked about how much we like the book. Yeah. But I mean, if I could put this on a, a reading list for literally everyone in the world, I would. Yeah. Just from a mental health standpoint, I love books that talk about mental health because even for my part of my lifetime, like it's been such a stigma. Yeah. And so openly talking about it and leading off with a character that makes the choice to end her life is so powerful and in your face and just like, let's deal with this issue is so good. Yeah, it's so good. And you're really going to like kill your darling. Okay. Yeah. So That's next then. It's, yeah. On my reading list. It's on our reading list to cover Kill Your Darlings. Um, and it's a comp title to the Midnight Library. So mm -hmm. if you enjoy mental health stories and adventures, you're going to like that one. Perfect. Yeah. And I agree. 
it's a it's a challenging theme to tackle uh, it's a challenging theme to tackle objectively because mm -hmm. as readers we always want to uh we always want kind of like an escape I, maybe not always but i think that's a lot of the reason why someone picks up a book it's like i want to escape my shitty life i don't mm -hmm. want to be confronted with it mm -hmm. you know but i think a book like this it leaves you on an adventure and it confronts you with it in a way that's digestible in a way that um helps you think about things that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise in that particular way at least it certainly did for me this week so that was really it was really a perfect read for my mindset this week for sure um but it was a really good book i really enjoyed it and you know i think i agree it should definitely be on everyone's reading list it's definitely a good book so should sure. we do our cork ratings for the wine first? yeah it was definitely Wait, you want how to go much first? did you say it was? 12 dollars. Okay, and it was which one did you choose? I didn't see if you poured. Oh, yeah, it was Martin's Rake, right? Martin's Rake Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. All right. So, first, um smooth. I'd say half for me. I still have a little bit left. Let me just swig that real I got, quick. I got a little swallow um so that's half for me taste i'd say half i wasn't wild about it um buzz one definitely didn't <laughs> <laughs> one for cost 12 dollars is very reasonable um and then drink again sure so that puts me at four okay so uh i think it was very smooth and i like the taste a lot uh, buzz absolutely i'm gonna give it a half for cost <laughs> so, such a cheapskate <laughs> so but listen it's not a zero okay usually it's a zero but i'm becoming more lenient in my price point oh, so i'm having a negative impact on you you are having yes all these different ones so here's the thing though they're like what you were saying about the expensive wines and like mm -hmm. the difference in taste oh and since we had that 50 dollar bottle, bottle you've had a taste of the finer things it is a lot different <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna say maybe a 12 dollar bottle of wine is not that bad so i'm gonna say half cork half cork okay and then so for that's it that's well, it drink again oh definitely absolutely yes i would drink it again so, so you're at four and a half four and a half yeah i really like sauvignon blanc it might be your go-to it might be my go-to to be honest i i don't like the red wines because they turn my teeth red mm -hmm. and i hate that and we did we recorded some videos for the podcast after we had several glasses of red wine and our teeth look they crazy. look awful <laughs> so bad so i i prefer the lighter wines for aesthetic purposes only but um I mean, I'm not mad at the taste. Pretty okay. Good. Yeah. Um, do you want to rate the book first or do you want me to go for it? Since you first? rated the wine first, you go. Um, well, I don't think it's going to be a surprise. Readability one. It was so readable. I did listen to the audiobook. Um, and shit, what's that actress's name? Um, she was in 
fudge popsicle. She was in so many things. Oh, it's gonna drive me nuts. I have to look <laughs> it up. Um, she did a lovely job. She's a British actress. Mm. And, um, let's see, Midnight Library. It's read by Carrie Mulligan. Ah, and she does such a lovely job. Um, but also I bought this book from um Second in Charles and I got it for like six dollars or something crazy. Um, and I was just flipping through it um, because I loaned my copy to Kit and I was flipping through it and I never have, having actually seen how it's broken down, it's so, each chapter is so short. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine you'd speed right through I it. I did. So anyway, that helps it being readable. Um, tension and interest keeping. I mean, when you start with someone ending their life and entering into this sort of metaphysical library and having a choice of the life that they live in, that's pretty interesting, I would say. So one for me there. Plot cohesiveness and arc definitely felt very cohesive coming back to where she started. I loved how she was characterized. I felt it felt very relatable and I definitely am going to read it again. So for me, it's a five corker. Wow. Okay. So um, for me, the readability, I'm going to give it a half. Okay. Because one thing that I... There were a lot of commas that I didn't feel needed to be there. <laughs> okay, editor. <laughs> From an editing standpoint. So that was a little distracting to begin with. But then, like, it was written in such a way that it felt a little distancing and a little disconnecting. It felt a little omniscient mm-hmm. to me. And while I recognize that that's a good story medium for something as personal as mental health like this, I kind of wanted it to feel a little more connected. It, okay. it felt a lot like this is what's happening to another person and not me. Mm-hmm. And that felt like that was the style. And I wish that it felt a little more personal the way it okay. was written. Very nitpicky. Sure. Um, so I'm going to give readability a one. Tension and interest keeping. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Ten- uh, readability a half. Right. Tension and interest keeping is a one because okay. I was very interested. I was hooked. I was like, where is this going to go? Plot, cohesiveness and arc, a one. Definitely. It was a great plot. Character development, I'm going to give it a half because, okay. again, like at the end, I really wish that she had just chosen to go back to her own life instead of being forced to pull out okay. of it. I felt like that. Yeah, it just would have been stronger if she'd chosen I it. I mean, not to, not to derail, but I do think she fought for it. She, like, the library was falling down around her. Oh, certainly. She fought to survive. Yeah. Yes. But she definitely did not want to leave that other life. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, And then... Read, read again. Read again. Uh, I would recommend it, but I probably wouldn't read it again. So oh, that's a half. Okay. Half. So what's that give me? Uh, let's see, two, three, three and a half. Three and a half? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I didn't like that. I know, it's pretty harsh. <laughs> that's on par with, for you, that's on par for Year's End and uh, The Guild of Stories. Ooh. Well, I would like to say that this is a four because the, this is a really good book. I mean, if it's a three and a half, it's three and a half, but... This is a really good book, and I do recommend it for other people. I probably won't read it again myself, but I definitely recommend it. So, 
I see. I got it to see is it good. as like anytime you're feeling low, I'd read it again. Like you know, I listened to your your book weeks and weeks ago, and I was like, you know, painting another room in my fucking house. Um, <laughs> and right now, just having had a tough week, I'm like thinking, I'm gonna take that book home and and read it and read it just because I didn't experience turning the pages before. You know, it was just audiobooks. I, I yeah. kind of want to experience that and just, like, reset a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like it's a good tool for mentally resetting. Yeah. And getting out of your head, so to speak, a little bit. Yeah. And um, just a, a wee bit about the author. Not I, We don't know a ton, um, but I thought it was important that, I, you know, I found out in my research that he had suffered... A mental breakdown when he was 24 so it seems like that inspires a lot of his writing mm. um and i think it's also as someone who struggled with my own mental health it's nice to know this author had that same right. experience so it's a bit more grounded than someone just looking from the outside um i thought it was interesting it says he's an atheist but describes libraries as his church so to speak I like that um and it seems like you know he's written a number of books and um i think this one's going to be made i mean i hope it's made into a, a movie at some point um but it seems like he likes to write about you know family dynamics that have a bit of a dark element and some sort of speculative or sci-fi fantasy element to it or philosophical element to it so um i definitely want to see you know read some of his other titles because i really liked his style mm. um so matt haig you know wonderful book i feel like it's been a while since one struck me so um i'm trying to think of some of the titles that we've read in the past and while i really enjoyed red white and royal blue and seven husbands of evelyn hugo i don't feel like i felt so connected to it personally as i did with this yeah. book only because of my own experiences with depression and you know even to some extent suicidal ideation just like thinking about those hefty topics really brought it home for me and I just I just love this book yeah now I, I really really liked it too and even though my court grading yeah like three and a half <laughs> I hate that rating um but yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this book too, and I think it's a very important piece. I don't know what else to say other than read this book if yeah. you haven't read it already. Definitely. Till then, buzz off, mate. Buzz off. de Provence 2021 vintage from the exquisite collection at Aldi. Buzz off, mates. Buzz off. Follow us on Twitter at BuzzedBritCast. And you can follow us on Instagram at BuzzedBritBookClub. And email at BuzzedBritBookClub at gmail.com. Do you fancy a shout out on the podcast? Let us know your favourite book 
and your favourite beverage and your favourite Buzz British Book Club episode. And I'd love to know what's your favourite like book date situation? Do you cosy up at home? Do you go to a bookshop? Do you go for a walk and listen to the audiobook? Tell us because we really want to know. Yeah. So send all that to our email address and we'll give you a shout out on a future episode of the Buzz British Book Club. Buzz off, mates. Buzz off.